Welcome to The Sky's the Limit with host Dee Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority public private partnership real estate developer. Here's Dee. My guest on this episode of The Sky's the Limit is a world-renowned actor and stage performer. He's performed in four of Tyler Perry's national touring productions, which include I Don't Want to Do Wrong, Medea's Big Happy Family, The Marriage Counselor, and Laugh to Keep from Crying, all of which were major hits. His resounding performance in the latter two were a segue to his current role on Tyler Perry's television shows, Love Thy Neighbor and House of Pain, where he plays the role of Floyd. His vocal credits also include singing background for music sensation Keith Sweat, LSG, and Grammy Award winner Monica. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Palmer Williams Jr. to the sky's the limit. Palmer, I'm so happy to have you here today. Mr. Brown, it's indeed a pleasure and an honor to even be here and being in your presence, good sir. I appreciate that and thank you so much for the invitation. No, absolutely, Palmer. I'm so excited to have you on my show. And we have a lot to talk about, but I wanted to start by just acknowledging this. On December 16th, I turned 50 years old and I celebrated my 50th birthday in your hometown of Atlanta. And I celebrated by having a large birthday party, over 500 family, friends and business associates, as well as a collaboration with the National Bar Association's holiday party. And you were able to attend. And so during that party, I launched my clothing line, self-made D. Brown CEO. And you were one of the first people in the world to actually wear self-made D. Brown CEO suit. But what struck me and kind of stuck with me about that occasion was when we talked about your son, your 16-year-old son, Luke, coming to the event because he was aspiring to be uh, an attorney. And of course, we had the National Bar Association there. And we thought it would be a very good opportunity for him to be around other lawyers and hopefully would be inspired uh, from the process. So I wanted to just really ask you, number one, I wanted to thank you for participating. But number two, I wanted to ask you, what was Luke's takeaway from the event? Well, first and foremost, the launch was an amazing thing. As a matter of fact, I'm actually wearing your suit right now. Oh, wow. Thank you. I know you've made so many, so you don't even know your own suit. (laughs) But uh, my son was thoroughly impressed and he couldn't believe that he was around so many people that are basically where he needs to be. And in a lot of places, as far as his professional career in the future, I think he was impressed upon the fact that, you know, lawyers do have fun. Also, I think he was also impressed with the people that shared the same melanin as he that were actually doing big things in the law industry and the law profession. He was also impressed with the fact that there were some celebrities that were there also that, you know, he didn't even know were involved in the actual law field and the law profession, and then to be able to see the National Bar Association president being a like complexion of him. So I know he saw, you know, an impressionable 16-year-old, they see money. They see the, the probability or the possibility of them even actually making that type of money one day. And sometimes they don't see that at 16, but because of, I guess, the grace of God and his aptitude to uh, ingest some of the things that that are around him and with the stimulus from his mother and father, you know, we try to tell him that this too can be you, you know, if you just continue to, to push and to, uh, to thrive and strive in the ways in which he has been going thus far, especially with his grades, you know, being above a 4.0 for his entire life. 
so far. So, you know, we're, we're pretty proud of that. And at the same time, the better a scholarship is for you. I have a deal pending with all my children. You get a scholarship to college, you get a car. Right. You get a brand new car. So I have two in college now and they both have cars. So one has gone through a couple of them, but no, we, we still go just continue to pray that, you know, they stop crashing cars, but you know, right. the deal has gone through. Yeah, you know, but, I've, uh, I've experienced all that as well, but I'm glad he was able to make it. I'm glad he really took away something of value from the event. I would tell you that that's one of my missions from the position that, that I sit in is just really trying to expose, you know, our children of color to the possibilities and opportunities that exist here in, in America and showing them that you can be successful. It doesn't matter what kind of you know background or, or disadvantaged circumstances you come from. So that's a big thing for me. So I want to kind of dive into your career and personal life a little bit as well. I don't even think you realize that Luke's initials are long. He's wow. Luke Anthony Michael Williams. And so it's, it's, it's pre- preordained, preordained. Yes, pretty much, pretty much. Yes. So now you have a BS in health and hospital administration. Yes, sir. Minor in biology and math, right? So, so tell me, how did you end up in the entertainment field? Um, I wanted to actually eat. No, actually, <laughs> one of the things that, um, you know how it is back in the day when, you know, when you're 50 years old, that, uh, you know, your mom and dad back in the day would tell you, you know, you got to get some education courses or do something, something you can fall back on and stuff. Well, originally, my plan was to become a dentist. I wanted to be an orthodontist. And I wanted to be able to fix the teeth of the stars. That was my original intent. And that way I was going to get discovered and go into the entertainment business once I started singing around another celebrities, you know, far-fetched <laughs> dreams and a very obscure way of getting to that point. But what I ended up doing is that with that, I wanted to also go into hospital administration because I lost my mother at a very early age and I saw the process of when she had cancer and how people are treated once they are in the hospital setting or in the treatment setting. And um, I felt as though I could improve upon that. So with that, that was kind of like an inspiration for me to at least go in the medical field in some form or another. And then plus I know that how in our community, there's such a fear of the dentist. And I wanted to try to alleviate or at least soften that fear by providing a service that was going to be inviting as well as thorough, professional, and yet show the importance of dental health in your overall health. And so with that, and then switching to a, a major where I want to eventually in the business side of things, to actually run a hospital so that I can take care of those patients a little bit more and they just not be a number or be part of the bottom line of it. You know, business is business, but you know, you can also be in the business of caring for another human being in order for them to you know, prolong or give them a better quality of life. And thus, even after that, not knowing that my father would die of cancer as well, then that was another reason you know, that the entertainment aspect came in when I was caretaking my father, as well as doing tours and singing and doing a lot of different things in order to maintain a livelihood, if you will, while basically being somewhat of a, I guess, a gypsy in a sense, because I was going back and forth from Knoxville, Tennessee to Mobile, Alabama with my sister and my father to take care of him. So I was rediscovering myself in, in my early 20s all over again. Wow. So when did you decide that you wanted to go into the entertainment industry? At what, what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to switch from healthcare and go into entertainment? 
I think it was shortly after college. I did a short stint going into officer candidate school in the Navy and decided to graduate from the entire uh, process. And then I decided I opted out. Instead of being an officer, I had an opportunity to go to the Apollo. And I truly believed in my dreams that much. And that was back in, well, I ain't going to tell you the year. It was, it was a long time ago. It's actually, it was around 1992 when I actually started singing at the Apollo and started going out on, on tour. I'm sorry, it was 1988. And then until 1992, I was kind of like in that purgatory or that uh, wandering in the wilderness, so to speak. And then started doing a national touring play in 1992. So that was kind of like when the bug hit right after college, right after doing that short stint with the Navy, returned home, got with a local acting uh, community uh, right there in Knoxville, Tennessee. The Carpetbag Theater was an actual African-American unit that as of now is two years old. And I'm actually one of their honorary board members at this point. But that was my start. That was where. I got the bug other than in college when I was with Miss Ruth B. Stokes in Knoxville College, and she sparked that inquire. Now, here I am, health and hospital administration minor, but I also had a partial scholarship in, in courts. So I was utilizing that and just got the nurturing of that. And then coming from my mother being a singer and playwright, and, you know, it's just it was in me. You know, so that was 1988. The latter part of 1988 is when I when it clicked, when it snapped, like, you know what, maybe I could do this. Yeah. So that's when it, when it happened. Because if I gave up a career going into the Navy to go to the Apollo on a chance, obviously I had a passion for it because as a lot of people know or may not know, the passion of the Christ, the root word for passion is love and pain. Sometimes you got to go through a lot of pain to get to do what you love to do. That's, that's absolutely correct. So you've had a really esteemed career. You've been a background singer for since Music Sensation Keith Sweat. You've been a cast member for Tyler Perry. You've obviously starring roles, including in uh, Can a Woman Make a Man Lose His Mind. You've written, you've directed. How have you been able to, to remain committed on this path of success that you've been on when oftentimes you're working in the shadows of other bigger names? For some reason or another, my children like to eat every day. <laughs> and so I think that has been the driving force to make sure that I am able to, to provide for my family. But I've always wanted to have a family. You know, if it was up to me, I probably would have had about three more. But I think the, the motivation behind that is that it still fascinates me that something that can come up in my head that I can actually put it down on paper or acted out and people actually pay to see people do this. It still fascinates me. And so that's why I give everything I can to that because you never know what that person may have gone through and you never know what that person may be going through before they even get to that performance of yours. And so you got to give your best part of that. And not only that, to be able to make a career out of actually pretending to be somebody else yeah. is still fascinating to me also. So I'm able to escape from where I am in my own life and then develop some other character that may not be me. Now, Floyd eh, kind of saw this little interchangeable as far as my character. <laughs> so, but I, I do know how to cut it off. But, you know, my children yeah. would tell you, like, well, you know, you're not the funniest guy around town because those dad jokes are horrible. But, you know, but for the rest of the world, you know, yeah. so they, they, they're a little bit more lenient and, and, and loving than my own kids sometimes. But I would say that was my motivation 
because I wanted to be a lot like my dad. My dad was a very, very serious provider, principal, and my mother was my first grade teacher and librarian. So I had a very good structure that showed me stability. In a business like entertainment, it's not very stable sometimes, Mm -hmm. i.e. this past pandemic, because the first year of the pandemic, I basically didn't work until the end of the year. So for, say, almost 11 months, I did not work in the entertainment business, but I also have a landscape business, and that's where I worked that. And it helped to maintain and sustain my family. So it's just all about, I don't like to use the word hustle. I just like to use the word drive and work ethic. You know, because when you're hustling, it has a negative connotation to it, like as if some sort of slinging drugs or trying to, you know, do something that's illegal. But, you know, acting is definitely a legal hustle. Absolutely. I, I think that just being in business for yourself on any level is, is a legal hustle, really. I'm curious to know, when did you get your first, I guess, break? When, when did you get the first gig that you knew that, hey, this is going to really change my, my life? I would say that when I joined the cast of A Good Man is Hard to Find. And that was in 1992. We traveled the nation for three and a half years. And uh, that was my indoctrination to touring, to writing, comedic acting. I mean, it was basically a rolling school or university of the arts. And right in its practical form, I mean, I'm right there on the road. I'm learning how to get down to the lobby and get on the bus at a certain time or get left in the last city and have to, at your own expense, pay to get there or to pay my dues of loading the bus in the truck and yet go out, sell merchandise and then do the intro to the show, go back, get dressed for your character, do that. And then at the end of the show, do the curtain call and then get undressed out of your costume, load the truck and then help drive it to the next state. You know, that's where I, I got that big break, as they say. And, and that's where I learned a lot. I learned what to do and I learned what not to do. Uh, I, I, I learned uh, road love is not a good love sometimes. You know, you, you learn heartbreak. You learn love. You learn how to govern yourself accordingly. You learn how to save money. You learn how to spend too much money. That big break was the foundation for me to be able to go and do things that other people were like, oh, no, I could never do that. And I, but I've been humbled and I was humbled even before that, that even that event happened. But I think a lot of people, especially up and comers now, don't understand the process and they want it right now. And that's what Instagram makes people Insta famous. Right. So uh, and then when they get to a point to where they need to really have the right stuff in order to maintain the, the roles and things then they can't sustain. Instagram gives you a minute worth of, uh, of fame or funny or whatever you want to do to, to promote yourself. But then to sustain an entire movie or an entire show, some people don't make, make that you know, transition very well. That was definitely my big break was there in 1992. It was uh, Greenville, North Carolina. The late Reverend David Payton was a playwright along with his wife, Pearl. And my aunt told me that I had a phone call from a brother and it was one of my old classmates and he called me for an audition. I went down to audition and drove behind the bus for two weeks before I was able to actually get a, a seat on the bus. So there was a lot of lot of do's, as they say, and there was a lot of learning and life experiences that have enabled me to sustain to this very day. So you've done a lot of work, obviously, with Tyler Perry. Yes. How did you get involved? How, how did you guys get connected and you had a, a seemingly a good run with him? Well, it was ironic that I 
run into Mr. Perry a couple of times when I was out with the other show, A Good Man is Hard to Find. And then uh, when I moved to Atlanta, a long story short, he had contacted me. And so I came to a couple of rehearsals and got to know the cast and was uh, prayerfully going to become a part of the cast then. But that didn't happen. That was in like 1998, just in the beginnings of I Know I've Been Changed, which was his first major show production that toured. And so, you know, years went by, no contact. I started doing my own thing and started doing some plays and stuff with the late, great Bishop Eddie Long. And after doing that stint with uh, Bishop Long, I actually was seen at my church and I was doing liturgical dance and I was depicting Jesus with a young girl. And just so happened that Mr. Perry was there that day. And he had someone to contact the church and when they contacted the church, the person who actually had my personal cell phone number was the person who actually answered the phone. And so they said I had an audition at 11 or 1 o'clock. Now, that was Sunday when I did this dance that I didn't want to do, was fighting and kicking and screaming the whole while, talking about, oh, they're going to laugh at me, they're going to think this is comedy, but it's a very serious part. You know, but God arrested my spirit and basically was whispering in my ear with its gritted teeth, like, if you don't go and do this, do this, I mean, because sometimes <laughs> I think God cuss at me sometimes because I don't listen. <laughs> but anyway, did that whole thing and eventually it got to the point where I had an audition on that Monday and I went in that next day and I just prayed and said, you know, God, if you make me a good steward over this man's stuff, I know you're going to make me Lord over my own. Went in a 15 minute audition, turned to an hour and a half. And then later on that night, they called me and said, we want you to be on House of Pain. Six days later, after them dropping the scripts off on my front door, unknowing to me that they were on the way to the house when I said yes, dropped six on my doorstep. Six days later, I'm doing House of Pain. And it was only supposed to be six scripts. But I ended up doing 42 episodes of House of Pain, not counting the ones I just did last year as another 18. Or, yeah, I guess the count has gone up to done 60 episodes of House of Pain and is now the uh, longest running black sitcom of all time. Wow. Yeah. So that's how I got on. I mean, in, in every field of human endeavor. That's right. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that soon as well. <laughs> yeah, we both got snuck that in there. I that's right. Say. That's right. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this: What has it been like working with Tyler Perry, and how has it impacted your your career and your life? I would say it has been phenomenal impact. It was nothing but a godsend. It's been probably one of the best experiences as far as a livelihood that I've experienced in my life thus far. It enabled me to raise my family, enabled me to provide for my family, enabled us to change the trajectory of what it would have been for a struggling artist and the difference between a struggling artist and a successful artist. It has enabled me to have my wife to come home and take care of my babies while I may be out working and on the road or shooting and stuff like that. It has enabled me to provide for my children to have a safer way of life other than the chances that they take, but, you know, to provide a safer environment for them and an environment that's conducive to learning and to achieving and thrive, even though they may not recognize that just yet. But I'm sure in time they will, uh, will understand what it is that mom and daddy was doing. Also, I think with him, he has given me a platform to where I can venture off into other things, because sometimes it's all about, you know, what you have done or what your track record is 
in order for someone to entrust you to, to move right. along with them in their next venture or joint venture or however it may be. And so I think it has enabled me to be able to have a, a platform that people can now entrust that I have a work ethic. People can entrust that I halfway know what I'm doing. People can entrust that I may be talented or gifted enough or anointed enough to be able to take them to another level or them to be able to take me to another level or to just be able to get to the table, everybody break bread and everybody leave fed. So there's, there's a lot of different um, aspects of the Tyler Perry experience, which I don't think is over, but at the same time, it has been a phenomenal uh, shift and God has allowed him to bless my family tremendously. Wow. Well, what a, a really amazing story. But you've been, you've been successful in music, theater, film. Who has been your biggest influence in those areas? My mother, she, she started this. So, you know, if she was here, I would pull her on camera and say, like, this is your fault, mommy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, I didn't even realize that it was, it was a development because my mother was a singer. She's a librarian. She was a writer. She was a performer. She was actually on one of the first uh, theatrical groups at Knoxville College called the Garnet Mask, which the colors of Knoxville College are garnet and blue. And she was a part of that theater troupe there back in the 1940s. And one of the things that I regret more than anything is that my mother asked me to sing at a funeral just before she passed away. Needless to say that I know that the next one that I would attend would be hers. And so that from that point on, when I do sing, I dedicate that to her. I dedicate it to my father as well because of just that one opportunity. But I know that she sings with me every time I do sing. So that's my number one influence. As far as the industry is concerned, outside of what my mother uh, nurtured me to become, it was the maestro Stevie Wonder himself. I would say he is my biggest industry influence as far as music is concerned. And also quite a big dose of Prince, believe it or not. I know those are, you know, two musical geniuses with with actually, you know, they've actually done songs that they've almost Mm -hmm. collaborated on, if you think about it. uh, Tell Me Something Good uh, by Shaka Khan that actually was uh, written by Stevie. But then also you've seen Prince do music with Shaka Khan as well. So they have like a kindred spirit between the, the three of them. And yeah, so those would be my influences. And also the, the phenomenal vocalist, Mr. Charlie Wilson, or Uncle Charlie, as some of the younger people yeah. know. And I just, I had the pleasure to be able to have a production that he was actually singing in my production called Can a Woman Make a Man Lose His Mind? And I would be the biggest fan and I was trying not to fan out even though he was working with me. I don't like to say working for me. He was working with me and he was such an influence on me as well because I adored his music before. I adore his personality even more because he was such a good brother. He still is such a good brother. And I, I missed that, that interaction with him. It's been a few years now. Just a phenomenal human being and his testimony alone is so crazy and, and so wonderful. And you know that God is real. So tell me, what is one of the common myths that you think people have about the entertainment industry? That is easy. You can just pop up one day, be talented and gifted in something, and it's just going to happen for you instantaneously. It just doesn't always work like that. There are a few phenomena where it does happen, but you don't see the before story. You don't see you know, the process, again, that word process 
how to and then how do you measure success you know is it that you're able to do what it is that makes you happy and gives you a great quality of life and you're able to sustain yourself while doing what you love to do or is it money which one is the variable that really measures success uh, you can be one of the richest people in the world and be one of the most unhappy and lonely people in the world in the entertainment business or any business. Right. So what I'm finding now is that I have to find out what is success to me. What is, is success meaning that I don't have to worry about a monthly bill because it's all taken care of? Does it mean that I'm working enough to where I'm taking care of a bill and everybody's happy and I'm complacent? I'm not necessarily complacent, but I'm, I'm content right there. Or does it mean I have to have an exceptional amount of monies and that's going to make me happy? Because, you know, it's just what is success? And I think success is being able to look at my kid and hopefully one day they'll be humble enough to tell me, like, Dad, I'm proud of you. Yeah, that would be success for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel the same way. You, you touched on something at the very beginning that I talk about all the time is that, you know, people look at whether it's entertainment or business. They think it's easy. They think they can just, you know, wake up and walk out the front door and look down and success just at the doorstep waiting on them. And, and they really, like you said, they miss the fact that there's a process and they don't see the process. They don't see the blood, sweat and tears that go into actually being success. And like you stated, success for different people mean different things. But nonetheless, you still have to have a commitment, that work ethic and all those things that go into being successful. Uh, I do want to ask you, uh, someone that's thinking about getting into the entertainment industry, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them? Run. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, in, in order to get into the entertainment business, I would say one of the things you definitely have to have control of is your emotions. You have to have control over your actions. You have to have control over or have a better understanding of yourself. Um, it is not a business that you want to walk into lightly. There are a lot of things that are pitfalls that can disable you from having any sense of normality in your life if you allow it to take over you. I would advise that you train yourself up in the way that you should go. In order to do that from the very beginning, start to look at the positive side of things. And what I mean by that is like, choose good, don't choose bad. That's by the most simplistic way I can put that. Find the things that are positive that you can do. It's very easy to fall into bad. It's a little bit more of, a, of, of an effort to go good. But I'm telling you, it's worth the effort. You try to pursue any particular discipline of entertainment, figure out which one you like first. And then see if you are gifted in that area, because you can want to be the greatest singer in the world and you can't hold a tune in a bucket. So you have to find that one particular thing. Now, if you're blessed to be able to discover along the way that there's another gift or talent, then you can start working on that, too. But have your base. So once you have your base, then you can put the phalanges out there and you can start to to branch out into other things because you would have able to afford it the luxury of pursuing something else once you've got your home base together. So I would say train yourself, equip yourself with whatever it is that you need 
in order for you to go to another level. Whatever that level you think is another level, at least start somewhere. You got to be able to impress yourself before you're able to impress others. And if you can't do that, you got to also invest in you before anybody else invests in you. Because if you don't believe in yourself and you don't invest in yourself, how are you going to ask me or Mr. Brown to invest in you? Palmer, I, I talk about that all the time. People get, whether it's tax refunds, whether it's you know insurance settlements from accidents, they get money and they don't invest it in themselves. They spend it on a good time, trips, cars, all the luxuries and things that they want to do personally in life. And then they'll spend the money and come to us and say, hey, will you invest in my business? Will you invest in this? Or will you invest in my idea? And the reality is that no one is going to ever invest in anything that you're not willing to invest in yourself. And so it's, it's amazing, but that's, that's the reality of what we deal with. I it happens that. all the time. It yeah. happens all the time, sir. And the thing that bothers me more than anything, like just as of late, in, in the last two, three years, I've had some fellow entertainers that in the local arena uh, actually pass away. There were people that had like Porsches, Vets, Mercedes, all this kind of stuff, and weren't able to bury themselves because we're all raising money to put this person to rest. And that's a very tragic, tragic occurrence. And it's a pull on the community. And we say like, we love them and we you know, pull them together for them, but we don't prepare for that rainy day. We don't prepare for that the final day. We don't prepare for, for the insurance to take care of health things and stuff like that. And it's and that investment in self and that's another whole conversation we'll have or another interview or something else where right. we tend to be some of the biggest consumers and we don't save. Right. It's all about right now, that right now satisfaction, that what feels good, what makes me look good. And half the time, people ain't really paying attention to what you're driving anyway until right. you pull up for a second. Then that sensation is over. But that's not a mark of success. You know, can you go to the bank right now? And, and and be able to take care of your bills? Can you go somewhere uh, with a car and get you to and fro? Because if I'm going to make $3,500 for an appearance and I show up with my Toyota Corolla that's parked four blocks down the street with these real good shoes I got on, mm -hmm. or do I want to show up at $3,500 gig in my Rolls Royce that I'm making $2,800 a month payments on, which is probably very low. You know, usually you don't even make payments on a Rolls Royce. You just buy it. Right. You know, at one point, Rolls Royce never did that. So I'm sure somebody like you would know that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so in, in saying that, you know, you have only like $700 to live off of, off of that one appearance that you may only get one that, that month. So it's just like, it's one thing to be able to buy. It's another to be able to afford. Right. And if you work hard, like we do, you and Mr. Brown, me, me and you, Mr. Brown, as we do, then afford to give yourself some luxury. But then within the modesty of that, you're still running a business. Right. So, Palmer, you've had a really accomplished career. Out of all the achievements that you've had, what are you most proud of? My children by far becoming a father and shifting that that sense of responsibility even more and i always said that was one of my greatest achievement is, is my children getting married and having my children 
And aside from that, I would say one of my greater achievements was probably some of the awards and accolades that I may have gotten, at, you know, where somebody may not think of them as being that big. I've had quite a few monumental moments in my life as far as achievement and um, pledging my fraternity under a great duress at the time. That was an achievement. Graduating from college, you know, first even going to college, you know, that was mandatory. It was not going to be any question I was going to be doing that because both of my mother and father both having master's degrees and um, just being able to show some of my relatives that are uh, older, my mother's brothers and sisters and my father's sisters to be able to see me on television and to see their reaction, especially from the humble beginnings in which I've come. And yeah, I don't say that humble beginnings and just like kind of thrown it by the wayside, you know, because everybody swears I'm down ahead, humble beginning. But I literally thought we were rich, but yet we lived on a dirt road and we lived in the principal's house. But my mother and father provided in such a way that I thought we were rich. But when mm-hmm. I looked at when my father finally retired and saw what income was, I was like, wow, you did that, sir. You did that with what you had and the antique business that my mother and father ran out of the house as well. So the entrepreneurial spirit has always been there because I saw it firsthand. Right. So what's on the horizon for you, Palmer? What's in the future? What, what's your future plans? Right now, I've written additional episodes of a sitcom that I've written for myself and another gentleman. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a little bit of Floyd, but a lot of Palmer also. And basically playing that one particular uncle that's either your favorite or the one that you you scared of or the one that you can't stand to be around because he tighten you up. Or, you know, or he give you some wonderful advice that you may or may not want to hear, but will make sense. But then at the same time, be that loving one. So it's going to take a lot of people that the world may not know now, but I'm praying that it will make them household names because it's going to be organic. It's going to be real. It's going to be funny. It's going to be funny. And but yet it's going to be something that I know I'm going to be pretty proud of. So between that and working on my R&B album, as well as working on some stuff with my new church that I've joined called Relentless. We just finished Christmas production just this past December and it went over real well. And so we're now working on Easter. I'm actually pinning the uh, Easter production now. So uh, we shot it like a small movie instead of just having just theater production on stage. And everybody in that particular were unknowns except for maybe two people in it, the whole thing. But it didn't matter because the story the star of the story was Jesus anyway. So that's why I won. Well, Palmer, I cannot wrap this interview up without acknowledging that you and I are frat brothers and that we belong to the greatest fraternity in the world, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Yes, sir. And I often tell people that being a member of KSI has been really dear to me and really has assisted me, not just in my personal life, but we I've used it for networking and business, and it's been uh, the greatest decision I've ever made becoming a member of this noble clan. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk about, you know, your legacy, because you are a legacy in KSI, and talk about what, how the fraternity has impacted your life. I, first and foremost, uh, this is the craziest thing. When I was uh, in sixth grade, I did not even know that my father was in the fraternity, because mind you, my mother had passed away when I was eight. And so I moved in with my uncle and my aunt in Mobile, Alabama, from Camden, Alabama, where I was born, a little town called Prairie. And so I was there and I noticed my uncle had the shield over in the corner, 
like, you know, where the, the screw had come loose from the wall and it fell to the floor, but it didn't break, thank God. So here it was, it was made of plaster of Paris. And, you know, I asked, we call it Dad of Virgil, Virgil Rhodes, God bless. Him. I said, Dad of Virgil, what is that? He said, that's my shield. And said, so every weekend for seven years before he actually eventually got remarried after my mom passed, 135 miles one way and 135 miles back. And he started explaining the to me. Then I started remembering when I was even younger that they would go to the black and white ball. And I was wondering, why is my mom and daddy so fly right now? <laughs> you know, we weren't even using the word fly then. You know, they just so <laughs> sharp. <clears throat> I actually used to cry when they went to the black and white ball because I wanted to go. I wanted to see what was so special that they dressed up like this. And I mean, <laughs> Joker's had on white tuxedo with the black velvet lapels and, and the pendants and the, and the diamond around the neck made out of wood and everything. Oh my goodness. I was like, what is this? I gotta be a part of that. I want some of that. So then as time went on in sixth grade and seventh grade, some of the guys that I went to Catholic school in Mobile, Alabama, St. Catharines. I said, like, yeah, man, when I, when I go to college, I'm gonna be a Catholic. I'm gonna be an alpha. I'm gonna be cute. I'm dog like, like, right. And so the guys that I really hung with, most of them wanted to be Catholics. We had one or two that lost their mind and wanted to be Q's and Alpha. <laughs> but then after that, so I went to high school and I transferred back to Wilcox County. And then when I went to Knoxville College, not really knowing it until like around 10th grade, that my father was on one of the founding lines for the chapter in 1947. So I'm like, is this for real? So now, I go to Knoxville College and I try to have, I want everybody to know, though. you know, my dad, you know, helped find a chapter, but I was like, pump your brakes. And I want everybody to know that. So much so I hid it that the Alphas tried to recruit me and actually took me to their fraternity house at the University of Tennessee to try to get me to be an Alpha. But I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of offensive with that. You know, <laughs> I just didn't want anybody to know because once I let them know, you know how that goes. Yeah. yeah. So then finally the smoker came. That was it. Everybody's not alphas was like, ah, that's why. I'm still friends with some of those same guys that try to recruit me. But, you know, in the Knoxville College family, period. Find out about that. My dad, like, you know, I was wondering when you was going to figure it out. I didn't want to push you too hard, but I knew that you were going to come around. And I was like, man, there was no, there was no doubt. And because of that legacy, it means that much more to me. Because I pledged at the same chapter. It means that much more to me. My cousin Virgil Rhodes pledged the same chapter, which is that same. He's the nephew to the uncle that showed me what that shield was. My cousin, we both pledged the same chapter. So the significance of it and the kind of love and fellowship that I have with my brothers, because I'm real big on the ways in which we're supposed to adhere to the rules of our fraternity and, and the way in which we're supposed to interact, the way we're supposed to look out for another brother and things like that. because. Even to a fault sometimes, because, you know, we have that term called right. written on the sheet that some brothers may do. But at the same time, you know, we pledge to, to be that brotherhood. And even outside of the fraternity, just being brothers and, and helping each other out, period. But the networking, uh, being able to have met Mayor Bradley at the 75th Conclave, where I actually was first runner up in the nation in Student of the Year pageant. There's another monumental thing in Capital that I was able to do. And able to meet Arthur Ashe, which I used to play a lot of tennis. He was a big influence. So being able to meet some of these famous brothers, actually having Montel Jordan to work in my show that I uh, written. He took 
of all people, he took Charlie Wilson's place. So, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm just like, wow, my good frat brother as well, you know? And then being under the tutelage of a Bishop Annie Long, a, a Laurel Wreath recipient, being under Pastor Jamal Bryant, you know, as of late, where I was at New Birth, and just seeing all these good brothers, you know, uh, that I just otherwise may not have even met had it not been going to the fraternity meetings and going to the conclaves. And I'm amazed that, that everybody is not a Kappa. I mean, I got to admit that, you know, that my man, uh, that uh, just meeting you, you know, I don't think you you recognize just yet how much of an, an influence that you had on my son, one, and even on me as another human being, because the fraternity thing is the, the dessert of it all. But just meeting another brother that just happens to be my brother, just it makes it that much better. And I, I would say that I wouldn't trade my experience in Capitol for nothing in the world. And I know it's only going to get better. Just as of two years ago, my chapter here, Alpharetta Smyrna alumni, they awarded me as new brother of the year when I joined the alumni chapter here. Because I used to be in Knoxville, Tennessee for a long time and then wandering in the wilderness for a while. But I wanted to, I've always been financial because I'm a life member. But I wanted to affiliate with a local chapter so I could get back in there and work and not be that T-shirt where that we used to talk about and Joan people about. But right. I've always been a fraternity, but I wanted to make it official where I live. No, absolutely. Palmer, it's been a pleasure having you on The Sky's the Limit. I really appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule to uh, be a guest on my show. And I look forward to having you back again in the near future. Most definitely, sir. And continued success and blessings to your family and to your business as well. And uh, we'll see you soon. And God bless everybody out there. Hopefully there was something that was said that may have changed your mind about giving up. But that's what it's all about. You got to keep pressing. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Palmer Williams, Jr. Thank you so much, Palmer. God bless you, brother. Thank you. The P3 Group is a proud supporter of HBCUs. We recognize the value of our HBCUs that have filled the educational gap for communities of color for more than a century. As one of the nation's leading real estate development firms, we recognize that the real value of building community is in empowering its people. We are the P3 Group. Design, build, finance. You can bank on us. This has been The Sky's the Limit with D. Brown. To find out more about D, go to dbrownceo.com or Google D. Brown CEO. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out thep3groupinc.com. The Sky's the Limit is a production of self-made D. Brown CEO.